Hey everybody, Aaron here with uh, another movie um, podcast about the holiday. It's going on prestige again. Uh, it's one of those uh, marginal prestige films, but uh, it doesn't have robots and space ninjas and shit like that in it. It's, uh, it's a bright white line. Uh, if you did not know, because perhaps you're not a club member or a patron, uh, we have a couple of Christmas-themed movies that we do podcasts for to kind of give as gifts to the listeners uh, as premium podcasts. We did one this year. It was uh, my, my favorite uh, Christmas rom-com, The Holiday, starring Jude Law and Kate Winslet and Cameron Diaz and Jack Block, directed by Nancy Myers. Jim and I did a review on that. Uh, that was my that was one of my suggestions, and I asked him before we recorded. I said, "Hey Jim, what is your level of interest in like doing a deep dive on like the relationship mechanics in this film, and like what it says about culture as a as as a whole, and how this movie fits into the history of like rom coms and and, and and its totality?" And he said. Is there a quantity that's less than zero? Because that is my interest level in getting into any of that on this podcast. So I said, oh, OK, fair enough. But that did free me up to ask my friends Kim Renfro and Joanna Robinson from Insider and Vanity Fair to come on and talk about my favorite rom-com uh, for the Christmas, The Holiday. And, you know, if that sounds like a fun conversation for you, then you're more than welcome to listen to the next uh, about hour and a half of it. And if not, I'll, I'll see you on the new year. But uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Here is the conversation already in progress. We were all, uh, I, I was wanting a break from my podcast, and uh, I went on this website that's a career swap. And I was typing just like, you know, what can I do to get away? And there was a there's a writer from Vanity Fair and a reporter from Insider. And we we're all able to make this this three way pod swap <laughs> and just get away from it all. <laughs> Uh, welcome to the podcast, Kim Renfro from Insider. Thank you. Glad to be here for what is truly probably going to be my podcast, a uh, magnum opus here, because I don't think I can talk about anything the way I can talk about Christmas movies, <laughs> to be real. Well, I mean, like I said, I think you really impressed people with the, 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 the dark knowledge that you dropped on us this year. So uh, compared to the, the timey-wimey interlocking stuff, the plot of the, the holiday is, is a little bit easier to understand. And then, and also, uh, we've got uh, uh, Joanna Robinson from Vanity Fair uh, joining the podcast as well. Maybe for the first time? I think so, for the first time. And now I kind of want to create like a corkboard yarn wall uh, tracking of the <laughs> holiday storylines, a la what I am sure Kim has for Dark, because I agree with you. No one no one explains Dark better than Kim Renfro, so I'm excited to hear her explain the holiday. <laughs> It's now time for the Nancy Myers cinematic universe. Yeah, like the, we're unraveling. Gonna, do you think we're finding in the holiday too that like Jude Law is actually also related to Cameron Diaz? Like Cameron Diaz is his grandmother from a different alternate reality version of Hollywood. Oh, the two little girls mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are actually also Kate Winslet and Cameron Diaz. Oh my God! I think the hair color <laughs> lines up for that. That's uh, that's a that's a hot. <laughs> That's a that's 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 a, that's a hot take and a crazy theory. Uh, yeah, we want to talk about the holiday. I'm kind of double dipping on this podcast because uh, Jim and I did this for like a gift for Christmas for our, our, our followers. But then I saw Kim kind of like talking about how much she loves the movie. And I'm like, this would be a lot of fun to talk about the holiday and do like a very special edition um, kind of gossipy holiday podcast. Um, I'm assuming you've both seen the movie and enjoy it. Very much so. 
I mean, yes, I'm no, I'm no Kim Renfro expert probably, but no, I mean, The Holidays, I can't remember if I watched it in theaters, but it's definitely a movie that I've rewatched more times than I ever would have guessed I would rewatch after the first time I saw it. Um, and like, you know, at first I came back for Eli Wallach, who's my favorite part. And then I started coming back for like Jack Black and Kate Winslet. And now I just love the whole thing. Like mm-hmm. I it like sort of, I, you know, my heart grew to, to allow space for all of the holiday. And now I love all its parts. So I was thrilled to be asked to do this yeah definitely i definitely didn't see it in theaters i think that the first time i watched it was like somewhere around like 2011 and i was back home for christmas and i was helping my mom decorate the christmas tree and she just like threw it on in the background and it was one of those movies where like by like 45 minutes into it neither of us were actually decorating the tree anymore like we had just fully sat down and we were watching the movie um and now i watch it every single year my husband and i actually use it as our like holiday movie kickoff like film (laughs) like we watch it on thanksgiving night usually together like and then that is like you know after thanksgiving it's like full-fledged holiday movie season in our house it's funny because i um i grew up in I, I grew up in a religion where we didn't do uh, Christmas and I didn't get out of that until I was in my early 30s. So I came into like my 30s as like a babe in the woods when it comes to Christmas. I didn't have a lot of f- favorite traditions. And a friend of mine said, well, you've got to watch Love Actually. It's the Christmas rom-com. And I watched it and I'm like, OK, but it, there's I, I it kind of left me kind of cold. And I'm like, well, this yeah, is kind no. of a bummer. And yeah. then that year, like it, it, in the holiday, I just gotten as I, I was a recently divorced dad, had a very small kid and I watched the holiday and I just like this is way more relatable. I like this a lot more. This is actually happy and joyful. And I've always kind of hated on love, actually. And I really like the holiday. Do you guys do you guys feel or do, I don't know, maybe I'm stepping on some love actually toes here. No, it's so funny. Like I, uh, there was a while where I felt like I found myself watching Love Actually every year at Christmas because like other people would want to watch it, um, and I like. So the thing about the ho- uh, Love Actually is the thing that. It, what never happened with that is what happened with the holiday where I love the whole thing. But with love, actually, I still just have like certain storylines that I do love to watch um, and follow. And then there's just like plenty of nonsense that I don't want to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I think I've seen love actually enough times that I can just like if I want to visit those storylines, I could just think about them and I don't have to watch it again. <laughs> right, right, um, right. And I did resent the idea that like you have to watch it every year. Um, I hate feeling like you have to watch something every year. Like that's that's some weird thing going on with Hocus Pocus now where like people are like you have to watch every year at halloween i was like i like Mm. hocus pocus i don't every year like it and i like parts of love actually but i'm looking forward to taking i haven't watched it this year i hope not to i'm looking forward to taking a couple years off of love actually um you know so that i can enjoy it again when i watch it uh in the future the other thing i think is interesting about this movie is like a lot of stuff like as i go back and watch love actually and there's other films uh, too like um bridget jones diary like these movies seem to be aging like someone who drank the false grail from the the indiana jones <laughs> and the last crusade like they're just withering into this mm-hmm. age like like if you if you roll even halfway the way these relationships work in this movie you're going to get up in so much legal hr trouble it's going to it's it's going to end your career/life whereas 
it's, it's funny because I, I had this idea when I was watching it um, for Bald Move. Like halfway through the movie, I paused and I'm like, I wonder if Kim and Joanna would be into this. And then I sent back to follow up. It's like, oh, by the way, I'm only halfway through this movie. So if something like there's some war crime committed in, in the third act, I apologize <laughs> for suggesting this idea. But as I because, you know, sometimes but as I watch this yeah. movie, it's like, you know, I've got a problem here or there. But like nobody's shaming themselves or the people who are shaming themselves are, are dastardly villains. You know, like Jasper is is the fucking worst. Um, you know, uh, uh, I, the Cameron Diaz's boyfriend beginning. He's, you know, kind of kind of a pig. Uh, but all the heroes are fairly, you know, uh, they, they and there's no like horseshit misunderstanding. Like when there is, they talk about it. They resolve. Do you guys feel yeah. like this is kind of like I had this thesis as like a missing link between like the bad rom-coms and like, you know, like some of the new state of the art ones, uh, happiest season. And it's it's rare the rom-com gets things really bad. Do you feel like this is kind of like the super white, super rich missing link between the old rom-coms <laughs> and the new? Maybe. Yeah, I think like I do think that that it's a testament to like Nancy Myers, Nancy Myers's ability to write characters that you root for like pretty much the whole way through even if they aren't making like the exact right decision every time um and yes it like it's it's coming from a very nancy myers point of view like you said it's a very like rich white group of folks that we're dealing with here but Mm -hmm. like the movie I think handles itself well enough that like you're willing to kind of overlook that for the sake of just like enjoying the story for what it is, which doesn't always happen in other very white, very like, you know, upper class stories that they're trying to get you to go for. So, yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, there's a lot of discussion right now. We don't necessarily need to, we were talking about it a little bit before we started recording. We don't need to go like fully into it, but the, the idea of Nancy, the legacy of Nancy Myers, right. And what does it mean? And like, um, I was thinking about it, watching this, like thinking about how we could talk about this film for the podcast, because like I was reading some reviews of the time, some negative reviews of the holiday and the holiday's not a perfect movie. It's fine if you no. have some critiques of it, but like, um, I was reading how many people in their reviews dismissed it as a quote unquote chick flick. And I was like, I don't, I Barf. feel like we've, yeah, I feel like we've kind of retired at phrase first of all thankfully um but secondly yes like nancy myers is unabashedly interested in the things that a lot of women are interested in uh including aspirational kitchens um i love every nancy (laughs) myers kitchen like her cinematic kitchens are amazing i have to say um (laughs) but like but at the same time like that's all there and that's true and if you want to box that in the same like really boring take category that people do with like pumpkin spice lattes or taylor swift you can but i think what's interesting about nancy myers and i think my first nancy myers movie that i loved was uh baby boom which is this diane keaton uh movie where she like leaves her big business life in the city behind to move to the countryside to raise this kid that like that has landed in her lap and she like starts a baby food company in vermont and like falls in love with local handsome veterinarian sam shepherd i love Mm -hmm. that movie Mm -hmm. but like that's classic nancy myers because it's like okay focusing too much on work as is the case with let's say cameron diaz's character in this movie she's like that's bad but she's not here to give the messaging of like uh oh if a woman just has a career she's not fulfilled she needs a man nancy myers is like what if you can have it all that's what i suggest you have (laughs) ladies is everything go for it plus the kitchen so Uh you know jude law 
with a napkin over his head is out there waiting. (laughs) But you don't have to like stop cutting movie trailers. You don't Mm -hmm. have to give that up to move to necessarily. They don't make us like hang around for the solution to the long distance issue. But like, let's assume it doesn't involve Cameron Diaz retiring from her movie trailer cutting uh, business. Yeah. Hang out with Lula and the kids. So. I also like not to, I don't know, overshare about my teenage years, but like in high school, I was in a very Iris situation with an ex for like a year where like I had an ex who I was like still very much hung up on who had a new girlfriend and me and him would talk all the time in like a way that she obviously didn't know about. And like the way that she just like nails that dynamic between Mm -hmm. that character and like gets Iris out of it, I think is just like so well executed and even if you haven't been in that situation i think that the way that she wrote it was just like it was very well done and it makes sense to me that like that it like you said like the the ways that she kind of like charts these paths for women that aren't tropey but instead like feel very much like a real life example of how you might navigate like struggling with work-life balance or struggling with like self-esteem I think is it feels very timeless, which I think is why it's rewatchable in a way that other rom-coms aren't. Yeah. I feel like that's, that is the key to relatability. Cause I've like a, you can make like a political compass with the four protagonists of the f- film. And I feel like I've been in all of their quadrants before and I can't yeah. relate to the jet setting lifestyle. I can't relate to like living in a Thomas Kincaid painting uh, or, you know, some <laughs> of that stuff, but like, yeah, the emotional, like, uh, you know, the, the, the soul crushing thing that Iris is into that Kim alludes to. And like uh, the thing that blew my mind is when I was watching like Jude Law try to articulate the things I was going through as a newly single parent. And it's like, yeah, it is like Batman Bruce Wayne dichotomy. Like I'm a single guy and then I have I'm, I'm doing diapers. And there's the scene of where uh, Jude Law is like got his laptop on a bed with the kids passed out all around him. That would happen to me all the time. I'd be sitting there writing code and Jack had passed out in my bed. And it's just like. Yeah, there is some core kind of kernel of relational truth that this movie gets to that I that I really love. And I like that you mentioned sort of the the old rom-com and the new rom-com. My sister and I would talk about this all the time because you know, we were we grew up in the 80s and 90s and the 90s were a real solid time, I think, for rom-coms. You had a lot of like Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan goodness going on, all as we've already mentioned, incredibly white, but like, you know, incredibly white and straight, but still like some good witty stuff. Nora Ephron like doing her her uh, good work in the 90s. And then the early aughts, I think we get into this like really weird place in rom-coms where like, like how to lose a guy in 10 days, like it becomes like really frustrating to me what happened to the genre. And I feel like it, um, it started really undercutting its, its female leads and also almost like, like people were embarrassed to make rom-coms. So they had Mm. to make them in a way where, um, like you hit every trope, but also um, everything is kind of like silly and stupid and awful. And yes, that that misunderstanding, that bullshit misunderstanding that makes you doubt the intelligence of every single person involved in the film. Hate that. So, um, so I, I agree. I think this movie, especially the way in which it interacts with like old screwball comedies of of Hollywood and like makes direct allusions to those mm-hmm. helps it feel very timeless classic and of of and just taking taking this genre what if we took the genre seriously yes like the the 
the undercutting is a little bit in there because she's got the trope of like the trailer voiceover thing to like inject some some uh, snark into it. But um, no, I, I agree with you. I, I love thinking of this film as a as a bridge uh, uh, between uh, a solid times in rom com and Apache times in rom com. <laughs> You, I the other thing I like is because the one things that uh, has always kind of turned me off on rom coms because you know I like comedy and I like romance is like the dudes in rom coms, even when they're the protagonist heroes are fools and I've always seen them as such. Like how in the world can you know this 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 guy who's just obvi- like I don't know like you could talk about the the problems in, in men and in, in rom coms they're legion you know they're they're dumb. Uh, they do all the small stuff wrong and they go for broke with these like giant dramatic uh, displays to kind of win things over and demonstrate they've changed. And I, I was like, OK, six months later, these people are broken, broken up and divorced because he's reverted back. I actually if I had like, you know, nieces or nephews that were like, hey, you know, what would I look like? What, what do I look for 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 guys that actually kind of know what they're doing in a rom com? I'd be like Jude Law and Jack Black are two different types of guys you can be and be very successful to ladies. Although I think that Jack Black needs to reel it in about 20%. Uh, <laughs> Jude Law is a perfect angel in this movie. Like I was really watching him close. Like uh, I just, it's been 12, 12, it's been like 14 years, Jude Law. You, you probably going to fuck up here. He really doesn't. He commits no fouls. Uh, He's a you know, major weeper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you guys agree with that? The fact that like Jude Law is like, uh, you know, like, uh, did he does he commit any uh, party fouls in this or? No, the no. consent is all there as far as I can tell. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a couple moments, you know, like a couple drunken encounters where you're like, I'm, wa- I'm watching you. I did. That's the thing. And that's I, the and thing. I, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> that mean, was happening. Like, I think has... when, I sent, when I sent that tweet, I'm like, oh, shit, what if this goes? And then like, oh, it, it, it was fine. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. No, and like his character even goes so far as to like say like I don't believe it's appropriate to have oh, right. sex with yes. a woman who's he, he stands up and takes the Captain America pose and and mm-hmm. uh, but uh, you know uh, yeah. but I I, I we, thought that was the only part I wait. There was one part that sorry. There was one part where I rewound uh, this most recent time watching through, and I don't recall ever doing that before because there's a part where she comes down after she has had like a very night and she finds her bra hanging off the chair and he goes like i had nothing to do with that and she's like yeah you're here and he goes yeah i was that's a great great delivery i'm like you skate the line of not being perverted but just being like i enjoyed being here for that uh i sure did yeah like perfect angel but like you know, uh, with with you know the the attractive amount of scamp uh, to him, you know what I mean. So, and he gives like so the many. One thing I was gonna say, the one thing that you would like maybe ding him for is like not telling her up front that he has children. But then, like as soon as you find that out, and then his subsequent explanation for it, like it you no longer sense. right, you're like you're not gonna hold that against him. It makes sense why he didn't tell her. So yeah, yeah. No. That's actually what I was going to jump in to say is that like I think that the the movie starts to manufacture that drama, but like again they just sit and have a talk about it and they're like, oh yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. You don't want to parade an endless amount of women in and out of your kid's life, but you also want to have a healthy sex relationship, and you don't just go and be like, I have children at the bar. I have just it's like yeah, it's 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 uh, good. Uh, Also, Jude Law gives so so many shades of daddy. Look, he's got the rumpled professor with glasses. He's got the, you know, the the hot Doctor Who with the scarf. He's got the, you know, man about town look. He's got the actual daddy, daddy. 
uh, in the princess bread uh, bed with the with the napkin face. Like Jude Law is a lot of a lot of masculine goals in this movie. I, I I'm of the opinion. I mean, I, I feel like it was the last, you know, I feel like every year uh, the holiday makes its rounds on Twitter. And I feel like last year, the real moment that made the rounds was Jude Law going, I am daddy. And like, I, I feel like I saw that got memed a lot on Twitter last year. So like that, they're like, yeah, you are. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And what I mean, what I, I when I was, I'm sure you like Kim said she listened to the commentary. So I'm sure she's a lot more insights, but I did a just some cursory interview readings. And I just thought it was interesting that, um, like the characters, Kate Winslet's character, Cameron Diaz's character, and Jack Black's characters were all written for them, like for those actors. And Jude Law is the only one where it like wasn't written for him, though they like kind of workshop, sound like they workshop the character a little bit as they were making the film. Um, and so I'm curious, like since Nancy Myers had other people, those other three actors in mind, like I was wondering, I was like, did she write this with someone else in mind and they passed on it? Like, was this supposed to be Hugh Grant or something like that? And like, they couldn't get Hugh, so they went for Jude. Like, and who else could I see in that role? And and like, Hugh Grant wouldn't, um, it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be right. So I don't know. What do you like? What do you guys? I didn't think? know that. I, yeah, that's that's news to me, and that is really interesting. I because like I I only got through like. I want to say the first 30 minutes of my, my iTunes extras commentary watch. <laughs> uh, and I got up to the scene where um, Amanda and God, what is his name in the movie? Not Jude. Graham. Grant. Graham. Graham. Where they meet for the first time. And she was like, this was a really tricky scene because you have to sell that she wants to have sex with him within like, it's like an eight minute scene or something. And it goes from them like meeting for the first time to her propositioning him. And she was like, it was really tricky to pull off. And I'm like, there are very few men that you could convince me of that easily with aside from Jude Law, like being like drunken and charming in your living room by surprise. Like, I don't think that that would have worked as well. I mean, maybe, Hugh, maybe Hugh Grant. I don't know. So that is really fascinating. Cause I don't know how many other actors. I think that's one of Nancy Myers off. real amazing things is that, that she's able to, I think she really thinks about the situations. Like I want this to happen. How can I engineer it to where that's going to feel like a natural thing? And the, you know, he's Iris's brother and they have this relationship and he, I, I I'm not sure. Did you, does so, does Graham live in the same town as she does? In yeah, which case, so that, what's that relationship like when Iris goes into the, the pubs? Like, yeah, your brother's slutting around again this weekend. So I'm like, <laughs> you know, like you come into, come into her town to kind of, you know, muddy up the waters and cause a bunch of drama. Uh, but, uh, but also he's got a cow. He's got a cow in his backyard. Did you guys hear that in the movie? Just yeah. just one cow. Are his parents watching the cow as well as the girls? Uh during his sex yeah, weekend because cow. cows don't i the cows don't take care of themselves i, I do know yeah. that they have to be cared for on oh. a daily basis it's no. wild but i did yeah in the commentary i did hear uh in the commentary nancy myers said that they created this backstory for like why iris doesn't live in london proper is because of graham's wife dying and that like she was living in london in like an apartment oh. but she moved back to Cotswolds after his wife died so that she could help him like take care oh, of the wow. kids. Oh wow. Okay. Cuz there is a little bit of that. I was I was like that is that is such a commute. Like it's it's like only like 40 minutes but like in London by train like I was like if you were, that's the one thing about the well I'm sure there's a few but like that's Plus you got to walk the last like, mile. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'm like, this this woman who seems like she burns the midnight oil a lot in her journalism job then takes a 40 minute train to the countryside every night. But um, I like that. I like that backstory. That's cute. Yeah. That, I love their chemistry too. Like the my, one of my favorite scenes, and it's funny because Jim hated this. He didn't think it worked at all. But uh, when they're having a three-way conversation, where Graham and, and, and Amanda are kind of like trying to sniff each other out, and Iris kind of catches up, but then she keeps. Uh, this, man, it's the third beat where she's like, you know, comes back. I can't believe you, and she's like, "Still me." Ah, I love that so much, and it feels yeah. very much like uh, <laughs> what a brother and sister would do because that. On the face of it, seemed like outrageous behavior on his on his part. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing about this care about the character of Graham, who like regularly shows up drunk to his sister's cottage, you know, sleeps around with women on the weekend, and you know, sleeps with a woman who's staying at his sister's cottage. And you're still, and we're still all three of us sitting here agreeing that he's a perfect angel, which he like he is because he's daddy. I am daddy, you know what I mean? Plus, like, he here's is. the thing, like, I I've, I maintain that, like, the, the thing that most dudes do wrong in being a, a, a man, a man slut, is you start telling lies. As long as you don't tell any lies, you don't usually get a, a huge blow up vicious reaction. You can kind of, like, do that thing. And looking like Jude Law doesn't hurt, but, like... You know, he, he's, helps, he's sure. yeah, he's yeah. he's not trying to convince women that he loves them forever and ever, and they're the most beautiful. He's just like you know, he's a he's a good looking guy, and they're a good looking girl, and they could do fun things together. It's complicated either way. Why not Let's have the it. sex? You know, that's a, <laughs> hell. He convinced me. Yeah, I um, love that phone call scene because it's one of a few things that like I think makes rewatching it really fun, which is like these like little like technology quirks that could only have happened in like a 2006, like mid 2000s era movie. Right. And it's like the phone, like the three way, like you not feeling like you pressed like the, the fucking home landline button in the correct way. And then also just like the whole like home exchange website like that little like house shaped oh. window that pops up when they're typing in and i'm like every time i watch it now i'm like i forgot that airbnb has only been around for like what eight years maybe like seven years and so i just love that like at the time it was so novel and like multiple characters comment on it within the movie where they're like do people really do that and it's like now like the idea of like renting out your home on airbnb is just like yeah duh put my home up on airbnb for me it's not just the like it's not just her cottage is on airbnb it's like watch my job yeah. and yeah. you can use my car if you want to figure out how to drive on the other side of the road etc like swap everything i'm like that's a lot when you get to town, just just start just start drinking wine out of the bottle and add that to the whole driving experience <laughs> on the wrong side of the road. Like, okay, okay, red flag. That's that's one red flag. We got one penalty flag on the movie. Uh, I I don't know Wait. if I endorse that that uh, drunken driving of the the mini on the wrong side of the road. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and then when you said Jack Black needs to take like twenty percent off the top or whatever, like yeah, I think. Well, I mean they 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 lampshaded at least a little bit when he like double kisses her goodbye or whatever he's like i made it weird like blah blah yeah. but like yeah every time he sees her he sees her she's like you're beautiful you're like okay friend jack black's seems like one of those capital n capital g nice guys that's working on it you know yeah yes yeah like he's aware um, that like oh this is actually the opposite of what i'm trying to do because the perfect right. the, the thing that makes me cringe the most is when 
He's actually, I mean, this is like a home run by Jack Black standards. He's got, you know, he he wrote this theme for their their older gentleman friend and she's like charmed. And then he's like, and also I wrote something that's a little bit like you. And like, he is charming the shit out of her. Uh, <laughs> but he's uncomfortable at that moment. So he deflects it with screwdly poo. And he just like, oh, it's a kind of a joke. And I'm like, nah, man, just, you just wrote a fucking song and you charmed, you've, you've ha- charmed her half out of her pants to seal the deal. You screwdly poo and you're going to be, you're going to wind up. She's going to think that you don't like her, you know? And yeah. so, yeah, that's the, that's the one thing I think he 20% less screwdly poo in the highly romantic situations. He'd, he'd be better off. <laughs> That's the part of the movie that my husband like hates the most. Like every time that we get really close to the screwdily dude, like, it's 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 tough seeing a guy seeing a guy crash and burn like that. You know, the unforced errors. <laughs> it's it's really it's really hard. I like so when I first watched this movie, I was a little frustrated that it was like the Cameron Diaz Jude Law pairing, and then it felt like they were putting like that that Kate Winslet and Jack Black felt like. Um, a mismatch and like it felt like the movie was trying to say Kate Winslet is like the frumpy friend or something like that when Kate Winslet is like a complete smoke show um and uh and then you know as I've as I've watched it um which is not to say that like hot women couldn't fall in love with Jack Black obviously but it's just sort of like by the Hollywood like pairing off standards or whatever but like you know you watch it more and then you pay more attention to Eli Wallach's character Arthur being like you're treating yourself like you're best friend you're not you're the leading lady and so it's not a movie about hot Cameron Diaz and and like the frumpy English girl it's like two leading ladies finding what is going to make them happiest in this life and uh for Kate Winslet's character for Iris it's dumping Rufus Sewell who is oh you're so right both of you like that behavior is just so identifiable the the person who keeps you on the back burner Mm -hmm. I know that feeling like so well and just sort of like cutting that out cutting that toxicity out of your life and and finding someone who's just going to be like uncomplicatedly adoring of you uh in a way that you absolutely deserve so yeah that storyline has really grown on me a lot and the other thing that kind of like makes it all right in my mind is like most likely these are all rebound relationships, you know, <laughs> like they're all getting out of like long term relationships. Jude Law's wife just died. Jack, uh, Jack Black's girlfriend just brutally. Br- so like these are nice people that will help each other feel better about themselves. Maybe it turns into something long term. No, I don't think anyone gets hurt at, at the, uh, uh, you know, like no one's going to, yeah. no one's going to, no one's going to hurt anybody in these relationships. And that's, that's okay. It doesn't have to be. I for love the that haul. you like this movie so much. And you also don't see this as a happily ever after. I kind of love that. They're like, Happy New Year. Enjoy your New Year. May or may not I mean, last. I'm rooting for him. I'm just saying yeah. that, like, you know, it yeah. doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't have to. Yeah, it doesn't have to convince me that this is happily well, ever after. OK, beyond the fantasy kitchens and everything else, let's talk about the most unrealistic aspect of this movie, which is the two week timeline. Um, oh, my God. Kate Winslet gets, uh, you know, the Iris cost of plane tickets. Yeah, no, but Iris gets Arthur to walk in a montage which i think consists of a day right <laughs> and then like jula is saying i love you like you know they, they've they've hooked up twice she met the kids then i love you and i'm like buddy it's been not even two weeks yet like oh my goodness so um yeah i, I have some questions about I was like, this time I was kind of trying to track it. I was like, how many days in are we? How many days do we have? She's like, I'm leaving in eight days. I was like, okay, I can do this math. 
this doesn't work uh but it's fine Mm -hmm. i mean no it's a it's a holiday fantasy it's fine yeah which again i think is a is a nancy myers testament to how she she is able to to mostly sell it despite Uh like the logic break there of like graham's only known her for yeah like four days but he's he's a major weeper who just (laughs) couldn't get over it i say that all like too many times that and um god jack black really the scrutely do i do to my husband sometimes (laughs) if i just want to get the reaction uh the show has like worked its way into my brain with with, with the compressed timeline iris is not a qualified uh physical therapist for this 90 year old person like that scene (laughs) where she like kicks his cane away and i'm like what if he falls and breaks his hip iris like i yeah can she get this guy rehabilitated to to walk the stairs from his decrepit state in in, in a week or two like who gets sued if he breaks his hip or if he drowns in that pool is she strong enough to get him out of the pool if that happens? Are there life preservers? Uh, I had a lot of yeah, I had a lot of questions about uh, the 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 nature of her uh, unlicensed uh, health, home health aid stuff she's doing for for this guy. When Jack Black is like, um, you look great for the fiftieth time or whatever, and she's like, "Thanks, I've been working out with Arthur." I'm like, for forty eight hours. <laughs> is this the forty eight hour glow of swimming with a ninety year old? That's awesome. <laughs> Good for uh, you, Kate Winslet. Um, yeah, I, I um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, uh, it's this film's treatment of Hollywood because I think that's something that Nancy Myers likes to put in with her um, her romances is like a critique of an industry or something like that, and how you guys feel like this movie treats like you know classic hollywood or like what cameron diaz does in terms of like the modern way to sell a shit lindsay lohan james franco movie um like and what it what it's trying to say about that i think that um i've often remarked it's really hard to show a competence uh, like a really keen competence at something when you are not in like you know i'm uh like Nancy Myers, uh, she's a movie director, right? Uh, she doesn't cut movie trailers. Or this comes like um, in Lost, you know, you're supposed to believe this guy's got a hit song and the hit song sucks. Um, or like How Mad Men. Dare you. <laughs> we are all everybody is a jam. Are you going to die on this hill, Joanna? You all, everybody. Yeah, I'm going to die on the hill. I love, I love that song. Okay. Well, you know, you know, uh, subjective has, opinions. Like, it only has a chorus. It doesn't have great verses, but like. That's true. That's true. It's fine. All right. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Like on Mad Men, you got to believe that all these pitches are like world-class pitches, even though it's like, I think I see some holes in this pledge, you know, uh, thing that you're putting up here, Don. Uh, I actually think that the movie trailer the fake movie trailer is like good, bad in like a funny and clever kind of way. And I don't know why, but the conceit of her life being broken down into various genres of movie trailer really works for me. And then the, the thing that I thought was about old Hollywood, new Hollywood, like uh, when I watched this in 2020 and is what's the guy, the old guy's name is Arthur. Okay, when Arthur climbs up there and I'm like, oh, good for you, Arthur. And he immediately goes on this angry get off my lawn. Movies are only about money now. And it's like, (laughs) wait a second. I've done some research on the golden age of Hollywood, Arthur, and I'm pretty sure you're full of shit. And, you know, like it's but I I don't know, because like I kind of think we is there a bit. Has there ever been a better time for film and just kind of like 
visual arts in general than the last decade and i don't know maybe that that's more of a a, a 2020 thing than a the 20 2006 like make hollywood great again no i mean it's it's funny because like <laughs> arthur i i think since the last time i watched the holiday i've spent more time at like studying old hollywood listening to more episodes of korean along with you must remember this and like knowing the state of affairs uh in old hollywood so when she's when iris is like tell me oh that was hollywood really like as wonderful and he's like better and i'm like no come on dude it was <laughs> it was a very it's always been a very toxic place mm -hmm. uh y you know um i understand from your perspective it was better because you were like king of of the script uh in your day and stuff like that but yeah i was like was it was it arthur was it was it better then i don't know he didn't see Not all of women. the uh he didn't see all of the uh you know casting couch stuck he's a one you know he married his childhood sweetheart never never looked in any direction went I'm home sure. at five o'clock after writing writing his oscar-winning scripts and just you know all he saw was the <laughs> the glow and the glamour and the glitz <laughs> right yeah yeah i super agree with with that point i think i think the reason why his story works really like emotionally well on me is like the the idea of like like the one thread of that that i think might be accurate is an underappreciation for writers i think mm. that like for me growing up watching movies i was barely aware of like individual directors being a thing let alone like the people who were writing the movies that i love so much and so that like the way that iris like goes into his house and he has like a sad like microwave dinner tray and like his oscar getting like dusty in the corner of the room and like literally nobody but this caregiver who's like giving like walking around the neighborhood with him every day like talks to him anymore is sad and so like and that's why like when the freaking doors open and there's a room full of people like giving him a standing ovation i just like it makes me cry like almost every time that I watch it because the idea of somebody who like genuinely did have an impact on people's lives, whether it was like writing an iconic line in a movie or something, going most of his life a little like under the radar and then having like a final moment of like, oh no, people are not only very aware of who you are, but they've like put together this whole thing for you, I think still still hits. But the the larger message of, yeah, like that it was <laughs> make him make Holly great again is is not it i think it's the specific writer aspect maybe that works especially yeah. since i feel like arthur catfishes the audience a little bit because he is this like you know is is, is a is this old guy and he's kind of infirm and he's battling you know early stages of senility um and he's all alone and no one appreciates him simultaneously he lives in a mansion he has a home health aide that lives with him he has the old awesome jewish dude uh card card game nights all they're like like when yeah. you get to the like at least it's like wait arthur have you been sandbagging this i feel like you've had a pretty rocking life and <laughs> and and maybe you just say you know what i got this cute young girl and i said uh, you know maybe we'll improve both of our self-esteems and i'll i'll uh I'll, I'll dial up the old guy a little bit and uh, we'll have a meet cute here uh because it did that's another thing arthur pulling the old i'm lost in my own neighborhood con on another young woman in the neighborhood classic <laughs> meet cute. yeah yeah what yeah, was that's, another that's... thing that i just learned in the commentary was like straight out of nancy Meyer's life apparently like she said that the neighborhood she was living in had like was populated with a lot of people who like lived in houses that their spouses had built in like the 20s and 30s or 40s and that there were these like old like writerly 
neighbors who she would like see around the block every once in a while. So I think maybe that maybe like the incongruence there is that it was like that initial meeting was like Nancy Myers kind of like romanticizing a thing that existed in her life. But then she like actually wrote in this backstory for like an old man that she didn't actually know in her real life. But yeah, she also said that she does that movie trailer thing in her head sometimes. So like, that's why she wrote that in for Cameron Diaz's character. Cause she was like, I love that. and the same thing with um, every book that was like the books that Cameron Diaz's character brings with her on the plane that she like still doesn't read. Those were all books that were actually on Nancy Myers's book list that she had either like tried to read and like never finished or just had never gotten around to. <laughs> Damn. So Cameron it's almost like uh there's uh half a self insert of you know, she mm-hmm. broke herself in half and, and made two heroines out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I mean that's what I was reading in Cameron Diaz interview and she said that Nancy sees herself as both an Iris and an Amanda. That like she yeah, she split her two sides into these two different women. Another thing that I thought was interesting in terms of like the characters being written for them, like Cameron Diaz, you know, Nancy Myers talked about the character of Amanda, like it being like a Goldie Hawn type and that she thought Cameron Diaz was like the perfect, you know, like Nancy Myers made Pirate Benjamin, which is like Goldie Hawn's like one of her most iconic roles and stuff like that. And so she was like, I want a Goldie Hawn type and Cameron Diaz is the perfect person for that. That makes sense to me. And then she was like, for Kate Winslet and Jack Black, she's writing a bit against type for what they've done before, like Jack Black with, I guess, sincerity of it. And uh, for Kate Winslet, like up until then had done mostly, you know, period pieces, et cetera. Um, And both of them, all three of them, Jude Law, Kate Winslet, Jack Black, expressed like extreme insecurity doing these roles because they were like not the kind of roles that they'd done before. Whereas Cameron Diaz is like, oh, I could do this all day. (laughs) This is my wheelhouse. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And I think that's interesting. That's amazing. I would have never thought that they were felt that way about the maybe jack black i could see like of all of the that cast him coming and be like what the fuck am i doing here um because you know just just because of how different his experience was but uh, she was inspired to cast him after school of rock apparently like she saw like a thread of that like sincerity and like and she said specifically um the way that he like interacted with the kids felt like really like I don't know if she were use the word like tender, but like he like clearly had like a like relationship with them that felt really sincere that she thought meant that he could translate that into a relationship with like a woman on screen that we hadn't seen him try to do before. And I I I can see that. I rewatched School of Rock this year actually, like a few months ago. It was very Did fun. It hold up? Because I, yeah. I I figured it would. I remember really liking that. And yeah, the relationship he has with the the principal doesn't quite isn't quite you know leading man leading lady type uh type in fact is this even work is it even a relationship i kind of remember it like not kind of i don't remember (laughs) i just i feel like i feel like it's a hookup it's just more about her like learning to let go than it is about their like genuine connection or something yeah the only standout scene i literally just rewatched the only standout scene is like the bar scene where he like gets her drunk and she like sings to stevie nicks and like yeah like gets her to like let loose a little bit but it's not really heavy on like he's actively trying to seduce her it's more like you know let your hair down kind of i like the hookup thing because she's like she's like you know i've i've uh, i've been really buttoned down all my life uh i've never i've never tried it with a guy who lives in a van why not? Why not? I, I've Why earned not? it. I've Here earned it. 
And apparently, uh, according to one interview I read, that like Kate Winslet, uh, Nancy Myers gave gave both Kate Winslet and Jude Law a stack of like screwball, nineteen thirties, nineteen forties romantic comedies to like study. Like for Kate Winslet, it was like His Girl Friday and Philadelphia Story. Or um, for Jude Law, actually, it was like a lot of Clark Gable movies. Clark Gable wasn't really a screwball comedy guy, but like a lot of Clark Gable was what she was going for with Jude Law, which mm. I think is interesting. I don't think he quite got Clark Gable, but like what he got was great, so it doesn't matter. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's a uh, it, you know it, it feels like she was really trying. She was really trying in her way to make a script that Arthur, the character of Arthur, would write those kinds of characters with an the exception being Jack Black's character where she was like I'm a little tired of all the leading guys having to look like Jude Law so like let's let's let a Jack Black type in here because this is a great guy this is a great guy to love a date and like let's let's uh let's bring that in here so um yeah I, I you know the more I watch this movie the more I love this movie and I'm so glad that you liked it and I'm so glad you want to talk to us about it uh, it makes me really happy <laughs> it does I feel like that like chick flick like assignment to movies like this is so unfortunate because like like I said me and my husband watched every year and he has found so many things to love in it and it's like it it would make me sad if a lot of men are missing out on a genuinely lovely movie experience just because they think it's too I don't know lady oriented I'm I'm somewhat bummed because I've gotten some early feedback on the club offering that they uh, like uh, I'd say like a good 25% of feedbacks come in is like I watched the holiday and it's it's okay but it's kind of just like kind of meh and uh, you know like it's not I'm not saying that this is great cinema it's just like if you're looking for Christmas rom-coms that are fun I there's there's only there's there's this and there's Love Actually, which two of the plot lines make me angry. Three of them make me sad. And two of them, I'm like, oh, OK, this is kind of uplifting and, and it's got a, a heart. Or it's Drek like the Christmas Prince, which it's it's fun to get hammered and, and Mystery Science Theater 3000, the Hallmark offering du jour. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah. like there's not a lot where like you just like, you know, and, and also this is a long ass movie. This is like a two and a half hour Fellowship of the Ring kind of, and it never feels like it. No, I w- that's the I would say it could lose like fifteen minutes, probably something like that. But maybe that's born out of the fact that I watched it with like Hulu with ads, and so I was like, "Am oh. I still watching this movie a little bit?" Uh, at yeah. a certain point, um, yeah, that definitely overstays its welcome. Pay for it. I'm glad <laughs> no one like tried to pressure Nancy Myers into trimming things again. I'm sorry that I keep going back to this commentary. I she said that she almost cut the scene where uh, Cameron Diaz is singing to the Killers. She's singing uh, Mr. Brightside, and I'm like, no, I I need that 60 seconds in my life. That's the only way that I sing that song now. Like I have screamed saying Mr. Brightside at a wedding before, like in the exact intonation that Cameron Diaz does, like really off key. And I'm like, if you understand that reference, we are automatically best friends because did she, it's everything. Did she say in her commentary that she sent Cameron Diaz a video of herself singing it? I was reading an interview that Cameron Diaz gave a vulture just this, like, you know, this last Nancy Myers tribute cycle about how Nancy Myers sent her a video of her, like that she's doing Nancy Myers in that scene. And Nancy Myers sent her a video of her singing into a bottle, like a thing of her Clorox wipes. <laughs> like, oh my God. I did Cameron not know Diaz. That. And like Cameron Diaz is just doing exactly what Nancy Myers did. So, um, yeah. Uh, I was- 
I was going it. through with like a fine tooth comb in this movie when I was watching. I was like, what would I cut here? And there's a couple things that like are superfluous, like I guess her dancing, and, but like the staring contest with the dog. I like all that stuff. Like that scene should not work. Um, but Cameron Diaz is just super cute. And so is the dog. And Nancy Myers gets a little bit of a performance from this thing. And it's a uh, yeah, it's like 45 seconds. I wouldn't want to see out of the movie, honestly. Um <laughs> Uh, maybe I would cut them Jude Law and Cameron Diaz in the garden outside of lunch, which is essentially a montage. It's very silly. And this most recent time I had like a really fun time imagining what the humans Jude Law and Cameron Diaz did to like make each other laugh or whatever during this like yeah. kind of silly thing that they had to do for this film, you know? Well, so it's it's because um, I find that the stuff I love the most, what I really like doing is nitpicking it, you know, like anything that I'm really passionate. It's like I, I love like and one of the big flaws. Well, one of the small flaws in this movie is the three musketeers concept itself. Um, it strains my credi- credibility that both of these people would have this three musketeers kind of like name for themselves. I don't know. Maybe not. But the thing that really the, the, I do not believe 100 percent. No way. Notorious Weepa, Jude Law, here's her drop, the three musketeers, the thing that him and his daughters have going on right now in the shadow of his dead wife and doesn't immediately lose it in the middle of that restaurant. Just flees <laughs> running. Oh, just big giant anime tears shooting out of his face. No way. There's no way, Nate. You're, you're cheating. You're, 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 you're saving us for a, a late reveal and there's no fucking way that situation would happen. You are... Yeah, I'm totally correct. You're completely right. Um, I wanted to go back to the chick flick thing for a second, if I can. Like, yeah. The uh, I was I was just having this conversation um, on another podcast I was doing about the upcoming Shonda Rhimes show Bridgerton. It's going to be on Netflix on Christmas, which is based on a romance novel and basically is opening the door for Sean Rives to do basically like the MCU of romance novels on Netflix if she decides to do so. Um, Because it's all interconnected, this whole like series and stuff like that. And um, what Sean Rives is doing with that show and with, you know, her entire body of work is, I think, legitimizing something that women have been made to feel ashamed of, like romance novels. You know, like my grandma used to read her romance novels with like a slip cover over the like cover of the uh, book so that people couldn't see what she was reading. Women often keep those books like back before Kindle uh, or whatever. Women would like keep those books and like hidden behind other books on their bookshelves and stuff like that. And Shauna Rhymes is like, guess what? Enjoy it. It's fun and fine and you can enjoy it and i think we're in a real space right now you know like similarly when harry styles says stuff like when people are like teasing harry styles for the fact that he has so many young women who love him and he's like young women have great taste i'm really honored to have a bunch of young women as my fans like they're awesome that's great um and so like you know it when i think of people uh, dismissing this film or any other film that is sort of from a female centric point of view. Um, I think of, uh, you know, the business idea in Hollywood is this idea. I'm, I know I'm not telling you guys anything you don't already know, but this idea of like the four quadrant of like ages and genders and stuff like that. And this idea in Hollywood, the prevailing idea in Hollywood, which has been true is that women will go see films marketed to men, but men won't go see films marketed to women. And uh, and as a result, 
Sure. But, you know, because women have been trained uh, over the decades to relate to the male point of view because that's what we've been served. And so, um, you know, the safer bet in Hollywood then is to create content that's from a male point of view because then you can get a twofer. You can get men and women in. Um, So you can get you can get women to go see, you know, Marvel movies uh, before Marvel movies had female leads. Um, but you can't get men in to go see uh, the latest Cameron Diaz movie, I guess. And uh, and the fact that that is changing and shifting, well, honestly, the felt like I find it very healing that you came to us with this request. <laughs> I actually was worried that it would seem like, oh, I'm going to review this rom com. Let me get the ladies of podcasting. I thought it might be kind of like weirdly demeaning that way. And I was, I was, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Oh, yeah. it, was, I, it was really lovely. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I think that we should be long past the time in which people assume that stories about women are specific versus universal, but we're not. And in the meantime, I'm grateful that like there are writers and directors out there like Nancy Myers or like, God, I think all the time about the line in Greta Gerwig's Little Women adaptation where she specifically has her characters have the conversation about like our stories about women's lives important or like the like domesticity of women's lives like nobody cares about that and then amy kind of comes back and she says well i think that by writing about them you make them important like you elevate them to that level and it's very true and i do think like even like little like to circle back to what we were just talking about with like scenes that you could have trimmed from this movie but like cameron diaz wandering around a house by herself getting drunk and being goofy is like a moment in a character's life that like you don't always see in movies and that you don't always see with women in movies and it's like cut that out and sure the rest of the movie will make sense but like it adds a little bit of like of just like relatability and like funness i think to a character that could otherwise be taken as like a very like self-serious like i own my own company and i work too much character type of thing you know yeah I think I think the trick that Nancy Myers pulls off in this movie is like you're rooting you, you know, like I'm rooting for each couple. I'm rooting for Iris and I can't remember Jack Black's character's name. Miles. Right? Miles. Miles? Yeah. yeah. Iris and Miles and uh, Amanda and Graham. I'm rooting for them. I like I like them together. That's great. I when they smooch it's great. Great stuff. But, you know, to your point it's like if they don't end up together, that's okay. That doesn't mean this journey is invalidated because this journey isn't about these two women finding the right guy who's gonna fulfill them it's about you know sorry to use a really worn out phrase like self-actualizing right Mm -hmm. like figuring out what they want what's healthiest for them and even if it is not forever these dudes they are on a path to make healthier choices than they were making at the start of the film and that's that's the nancy myers trick that she does with a lot of her romances is like there's a romance you're rooting for it but it's not like the the character's future happiness is not hinge on this person forever that's a really a good point that the fact that like these men don't come and fix them uh what happens is they have a they have a a realization about themselves or like a genuine moment of, of personal growth like her throwing off jasper is played like frodo ridding himself of the ring <laughs> like i am no longer naked before the wheel of jasper like she's just like you know having this out-of-body experience and like that's what it really feels like when you finally realize this is horseshit. I've been gaslit this whole time. I've been used. I've been abused. And I'm just done with you. I've broken the spell. Yeah. And then they can go on to enjoy these these pl- these nice relationships with Jack Black and Jude Law. But yeah. Uh, and and honestly, 
that's why like I said, it's like I think it's kind of unique amongst rom-coms that they you know that they always it's it's um the girl completes the guy, the guy completes the girl. Uh, you have to make major changes in like your behavior and lifestyle rather than how you think and view things. Uh, whereas this thing is all about like, yeah, self-respect, perspective, self-esteem, um, and how loving yourself is the key to have positive relationships with other people. I love that Frodo comparison. That's so (laughs) funny. Uh, the, 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 the comparison that shot to my mind this time watching it is one of my all time favorite cinematic moments. Uh, when Jennifer Connelly as Sarah at the end of Labyrinth turns to David Bowie's Jareth and she goes, you have no power over me. And it's just like, boom. Mm-hmm. And the same thing <laughs> happens to Jasper. He just like explodes into a million pieces because it's just sort of like, take away their power. You have the power to take away their power over you. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I love I love that moment. The the Hans Zimmer score that like kicks in when she like raises her arms and then like there's like a moment of silence and it's like da 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 it's like uh, I love I love the score in this movie in this movie yeah. is so good. It, it also like Jasper shows like because I think Jude Law's got a positive like depiction of being kind of honest in a relationship. You know, it's like you don't have to advertise your flaws and stuff, especially in the beginning when you know, if, as far as Tay, uh, everybody's kind of just banging until you define the relationship, right? I think that's how most people operate. But like Jasper's shows like this toxic side of honesty where he tells her exactly what's going on you know like he's like oh you know i'm just he, he describes everything in in his in terms of like orbiting around him like oh i'm just so confused about the situation i want you and i love you but i also want this and I'll, and like that's i think mistaken for a lot of people when you hear that for the first time is like oh this person being real honesty and being trustworthy when they're actually weaponizing it they're like making their crazy state of mind your fucking problem. Right. You know? Yeah. The I think you're the first one to use the term gaslight in this. And that's exactly it's like a classic gaslighting thing where like the facts are true, but he's not being emotionally honest with her. And he's certainly not being respectful of her emotions or considerate of her emotions at all whatsoever. Yes. And so it's just sort of about his active. And then the, the, the trick of the gaslighter is then they have like plausible deniability babe i already I, you know I, I never said that i was gonna like leave her or, like whatever you know I, I i never said that i was honest with you from the start and you're just like sorry i'm getting i'm getting like <laughs> why are you trying to complicate it you know <laughs> this is already a complicated situation a right? peg, round hole <laughs> <laughs> We need more Kate Winslet impersonations <laughs> from uh, I, Kim Renfro because they've been 10 Kim for 10 like, so far. Yeah, I just want it. Kim to like recite the entire movie for us. My yeah. favorite Iris line is definitely when she says like, when he's like, what's gotten into you? And she's like, I don't know, but I think it's something resembling gumption. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> There's um, something like I really find is like some slight corniness to Iris that I really find appealing. Like, um... You know, she like all that, all that like uh, heroic stuff really speaks to her. You can tell. Um, And I find that sometimes that's some of the best type of people that like really identify with, uh, you know, the cornier aspects of of protagonists and and heroes. Mm -hmm. I like I like Kate Winslet's comedy crying uh, that like uh, features throughout (laughs) the like beginning of the movie. She's like, hey, my horrible life. And she's just like crying and typing. And um, 
yeah, it's it's uh, that's some some classic comedy from her. She wasn't yeah, she wasn't a comedian for this movie, and I think after this is when she filmed that episode of extras where she plays herself and she's so funny. Um, but I think she, yeah, she hadn't gotten a chance to be like really, you know, non non Jane Austen funny uh, in something mm. before this movie. So, yeah, that's more of a droll. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, what else do we want to, because before I let you guys go, I want to get, um, everybody's holiday, um, entertainment recommendations, uh, either an old favorite or something fresh, but also I don't want to hasten this conversation about the holiday. Do we have some more ammo in the can? Unless we want to talk about Hans Zimmer <laughs> spending all have, okay. that time. I will say this. I wish this movie was 25% more Christmassy. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe one or two more Christmas standards, maybe a little bit more prominent Christmas decoration. I mean, we don't get me wrong. We were it, this isn't like a hanging on by its fingernails Christmas movie. But like I felt like I needed a couple more jingle bell rock playing in the jukebox of the pub or just, just something just like 25 percent more Christmassy. I hear you. And I agree with you. You said it and it needed to be said. <laughs> it's out there. Um, I think especially when like half of it takes place in in Los Angeles, you know what I mean? Uh, maybe the Los Angeles half is the Hanukkah movie and like the London, like the UK half is the Christmas movie. But yeah, like, um, yeah, yeah I agree with you. I'm trying to think of. I, mean, I like that though. Like we're sharing. Like we're we're two divorced parents. We're like you know trying to like hey you know I'm a Christian but your mom's a Jew and uh, Jewish I should say. And when you go to California you can do Hanukkah and that's okay. And when you come back here we got the yeah yeah. I I, I like that the movie's just fifty fifty split that vacation. Well, one thing I will say is that yeah like uh, Amanda's house isn't decorated nor does Iris decorate it and that seems right. Well, I mean, maybe Iris would get a tree while she's there or something like that. But like, um, but Jude Law's house, the amount of garlands and wreaths on that house, uh, bananas. Oh, I forgot. There is like an olive centric wreath on uh, Amanda's front door. Because when when Iris there slams is, the door in Jasper's yeah. face, there is like a like an olive sort of bay leaf wreath situation but yeah jude law's house is like christmas exploded in there so what you're saying is we need to spend more time in jude law's house and i agree with you is that tent is goals uh, the kitchen is goal like the most aspirational kitchen in this movie does not actually belong in the la house which is amazing it's jude law's kitchen where you know hot cocoa with mini marshmallows happen i think that's the uh a surprise kitchen of this nancy myers film I got to say, if I had to spend my time in just one, uh, I love Iris's house. Like, I love that, like, everything's just, like, small and tiny and cozy. And, like, you can can stir a pot in the kitchen while you're, you know, sitting on the couch with your dog watching television. And (laughs) everything's just kind of, like, almost like it's like living in an RV. It's like living in a Smurf house, kind of. Yeah. I I just love it. Uh, There's something about the coffee mugs, like, like that there are, like, exactly six coffee mugs hanging from, like, a little hook that, like, like when Graham goes and, like, read, I'm like, I want, I want this life. If, if for a little bit for me it's uh the blankets in the cabin on top of the what is it the scrabble oh. game or whatever like yeah. that's oh our extra blankets are in the cabin on top of the scrabble game that perfect cozy uh moment i think so yeah 
let's all move to a cottage in the Cotswolds. They had to build that one. I was devastated when I found out that cottage wasn't real. I was like, you mean really? I can't go? Yeah, they built it. Oh, yeah. wow. It's like Peter Jackson with Hobbiton. That makes a lot of sense, actually, because you almost don't believe there's a house that adorable still That's left so, yeah. in the 21st century. True. Uh, they also apparently had to build the, in that the grocery store that Amanda goes to and drinks illegally in the middle of while she's shopping. Um, Nancy was like, we had to that was like a candle store and they had to convert it into a grocery store. She was like, because the local mart was like a 7-Eleven. She's like, those right. those like cutesy little like organic looking mm-hmm. small mm-hmm. town stores weren't actually there. And she invented one. And I was like, well, thank you, because it added greatly to my dream of what it would look like if I moved to a remote you know, English village. Nancy Myers really Nancy Myers really loved us. She would design an entire community somewhere. Or you can rent the houses. They all have amazing kitchens in them. And then she'll like organ. She'll like create the downtown. So it's like, you know, it'll be like Myersland or something. Like like uh, like Dolly part. What is it called? Dollyland. Dollywood. Yeah. Dollywood, thank you. Yeah. Dollywood. Yeah. So like, yeah. Dollywood. I was just so in Dollywood's like, backyard last week. Nice, nice. I've always wanted to go to Dollywood, but like Myersland. Also, it would probably be by the ocean, uh, and every kitchen would be fabulous. You could rent a house. Then go yeah. shop in the downtown. Fuck the Star Wars land they got at Disney. We need a Nancy Myers land. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, and, and and you can do you can choose your own adventure. Do you want to go with the cozy cottage or do you want to go with the sleek ultra modern uh uh self darkening windows with the intimidating sound system? Like yeah, oh, like you could kind of yeah. Now. I love her reaction. Whoa, that's intense. It's <laughs> exactly what it's like pit. when you rent a house and you have no idea how to use their like ten remotes. And five screens. I do love that her staff is just surreptitiously like there in the back. Like I, this is probably the first. And I don't know, speaks to me or whatever. But the first time I noticed that, uh, like her house, like Amanda's housekeeper is there at the Hanukkah, cleaning up after the Hanukkah dinner. Like for some reason, I always imagined. Like I always thought Iris just like whipped that together, and then there's like a woman in the background drying the glasses, and I was like, <laughs> no, she had help with the brisket. I see, I see. Yeah. Um. <laughs> the, I guess the last take I'm reserving uh, to share with you on the holiday is, you know, it's a good movie when they toss away John Krasinski and Catherine Hahn at the beginning of the movie and they're just there. <laughs> they Walk don't on cameo. Yeah. 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 Krasinski's here. I, uh, yeah. Very early stuff. Han and Krasinski work. Um, this is yeah. like, I think yeah. oh, I, I did the, the research in the last podcast that this, uh, uh, John got on the office first season of office and this movie simultaneously. So like, this is oh, nice. pre wow. his career taking off. And then Catherine Hahn's been in everything. Like the first thing I remember is that like her hard charging lawyer on uh, parks and rec, but like, yeah, this is kind of like their launch pad for, for those two. Brzezinski's in another Nancy Myers movie. Um, get out the one with, being sarcastic no oh, no i said like I'm i just, just like he's... no not get he's out the, the movie the... that's not even a... <laughs> oh okay no no, no. <laughs> with meryl streep and alec baldwin and steve martin which also features a really complicated? epic kitchen. no something's gotta give no no it's complicated yes it's complicated something's gotta give is and keaton and jack nicholson and a great kitchen this is mm-hmm, meryl mm-hmm. streep steve martin and alec baldwin and a great kitchen and john krasinski i'm pretty sure plays her son-in-law or her son hmm. he's great in that movie it's a great role i haven't seen that movie. one i haven't seen that one 
Yeah, 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 right. We'll just, we'll just, yeah, we'll work our way through the uh, the uh, Nancy Myers, Myers verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The N the NMU. <laughs> uh, so, did you have any uh, last thoughts on the holiday before we transition into holiday recos, Kim? Uh, okay, who wants to go first? Who's got the dynamite Christmas recommendation for us? I can go first. Have you seen Klaus on Netflix? have seen klaus animated it's movie it's, it's an amazing take on the santa santa mythos very good very that good. is what that's my favorite like most recent addition to my like holiday movie rotation for sure it's so beautifully animated and i do love that it's like it's just such a different take on the santa origin story and it's not it doesn't it like leans into christmas but not too much and the score is really great i just I love that movie. I was going to say, how do you feel about the Christmas Chronicles? Uh, speaking of like Netflix's contribution to Santa Claus lore. I liked it. I didn't like love it, but it was definitely, it's it's worth watching if you just want like a new Christmas movie to see. I guess I, I my, my calibrations are screwed up because I have ki- the kids in my life that like, it's kind of nice to have almost a Marvel cinema Santa Claus. You know, he's like big and brass and he's got like Kevlar outfit armor on and he can do in the second he's got magic spells he can cast like i i think it's it's cool and kurt russell kurt russell and goldie hahn speaking of goldie hahn have so much fun in this but like the sequel's not as good as the first one if the first one's good <laughs> but i still like it because they're having so much fun and goldie hahn gets to be a really badass mrs claus i just watched it for the first time like i watched both of them for the first time in the last couple of weeks because a friend of mine works at netflix is like oh well get ready for christmas chronicles 2 i was like bro i have not seen christmas chronicle one chronicles one she's like you need to and i was like i guess so and i watched it and i was like what but i i loved i loved kurt russell in it but like everything else i was like not super sold on but i i did i loved kurt russell mm. i love his look i love everything about him i like don't really love the cg elves um, and I'm also astonished by how mm. much of Christmas Chronicles 2 he spends speaking Elvish. But I did love, I love yeah. the addition of Goldie Hawn in the second one. And I, I just love the two of them together. And you're right. They seem like they're having a lot of fun. I just don't love the kids. And maybe that's like bah humbug of me. Oh, see? <laughs> hmm. I always, I'm a sucker for that, uh, like older kid kind of losing hope and the, you try, but still kind of keep it together for the younger kid. Because um, I, I had that experience because, again, my, my mom converted to the witnesses like when I was six. Mm-hmm. So I remember like the first few Christmases. And then I had the big secret that must, you know, because she came out. It's like, you know, Santa Claus isn't real. We're not doing this thing anymore. Um, you know, I didn't find out later in life. Santa Claus is, in fact, real. And I was lied to my entire life. Uh, see, save for anybody listening with kids here. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I really identify with that. Like the kid, you know, that kind of lost the faith, and but they still have to kind of keep together. And then, like, how amazing it would be if you get that that faith rekindled. Um, but yeah, like Cecily, she turns into like that cartoon wolf head with its tongue rolling out and like howling at the moon anytime Kurt Russell steps on stage, and especially when he Hot starts Santa. bluesy singing. Yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> and a baby, it's, uh, it's, right? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. yeah. For me, uh, I yeah, because I I was uh, was tweeting about Chris the Christmas content, the like Hallmark Netflix Christmas content, and Hulu's getting in the game now and stuff like that. Of like, like we gotta have just stuff 
for you to watch, right? And I was like complaining about it. And I was like, there hasn't mm-hmm. been good, like good holiday stuff in a long time. And then someone brought up Klaus and I was like, I have to concede Klaus is great. Klaus is fantastic. That wasn't really like a Netflix generated, we have to have content. That was like a beautiful artisanal Spanish animated film. But like right. it's um uh it's all part of it. I I tend to like go really old school with my holiday heartwarming preferences and I love It's a Wonderful Life and um I love Meet Me in St. Louis which is the Judy Garland film uh so I tend to go like real heavy on the old nostalgia when I think about uh holiday movies for sure I usually watch It's a Wonderful Life every year also and I haven't watched it yet this year because I know I'm gonna be like inconsolable for (laughs) Like, I, it makes me cry all the time anyways, and I feel like this year especially, it's probably going to just, like, unleash some serious emotions in me. So I keep, like, I'm, like, gearing up for, like, a weekend where I don't have anything to do but be sad. <laughs> <laughs> for be emotionally devastated by It's a Wonderful Life. That's, that's a good weekend plan. I love that. Uh, my recommendation is um, A Very Murray Christmas. Have you guys seen this? No. Is that the Netflix special he did a couple of years ago? Yeah, back in 2015. The, con- yeah. the conceit yeah, yeah. is, yeah, the conceit is that he snowed in for the blizzard that hit New York City, and he had this whole celebrity star-studded thing, and no one could get there. So he's got this whole, you know, he's got Paul Schaefer and a piano, and he's in a tuxedo, and they catered all this food and stuff, and like he's just stuck in his hotel, and how's he going to make a Christmas special work? And it is just like cheek stretching and how much it makes me grin because everybody like I didn't even know before this that like Maya Rudolph has like this really famous uh you know Mariah Carey kind of like four octave singer mother and that she can legit belt yeah Maya she is amazing and they have so many celebrity cameos that are sometimes playing themselves and sometimes playing like character versions of this themselves um it's just really, really cute. And, you know, Bill, it all revolves around Bill Murray's kind of likable grumpiness um, and perseverance in the face of disappointment. And uh, it uh, I hadn't seen it since like the first year it came out. And I just watched it last week. And I'm like, this is this is good. This is good. This feels like, uh, you know, like 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 bringing bringing in a sloppy, terrible, bad idea of a year in for a landing. Uh, <laughs> and and it, I, like it, it, uh, I enjoyed it. Mm. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, check those the, out. I think that's the thing that got me uh, to like really actually like and respect Miley Cyrus, actually. Yeah. <laughs> great. She's great in that. Thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. She is. She's got, yeah. she's got some, yeah. some, uh, she, she does a really good job with it. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. Like even mm-hmm. like, um, I, I don't want to, yeah, like there's, there's so many great, um, celebrity cameos and also to introduce me to a lot of music that I had never heard of before. Like a lot of like, um, cause I kind of like Christmas music. that's a little bit melancholy. Like, yeah. you know, it's not, you know, like one every seven songs or so you like a little bit of scary ghost stories to go with your tales of the glory. Right. And there's a lot <laughs> yeah. of like, um, you know, Bill Murray covers of some of that kind of stuff. And then there's like this really funky Santa Claus, Need some lovin', which is essentially the very grown-up, uh, uh, bluesy version of uh, "I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus," uh, <laughs> told from, I guess, the dad's perspective. I, I just, I just think it, it just really, it really exploded my my Christmas playlist that I've been keeping. So uh, it's a lot nice. of fun. I love that. Looking forward to that then. I need, I need more Christmas music in rotation. 
Yeah, yeah. I wish, man, I wish the, the I, I guess you can get the soundtrack if you buy it on a physical CD, but it's not on like any of the popular music services because when, oh. I, when I watched it last week, I'm like, I would like these particular versions of, and uh, I, I, I couldn't find it, but. Oh. Well, guys, I had a lot of fun talking about the holiday with y'all on this here podcast, and I wish you both a very Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year. And I would like for you to take this opportunity to tell any, you know, to, to, to shout out something you're proud of from the past year or uh, something you're really looking forward to, a project that you're going to be doing in the new year, uh, whatever, whatever you guys would like the, the, the Bald Move family to know about. Or if I'm terribly yeah. putting you on the spot and you just like let <laughs> re, let me to go today, I, I could do that too. Uh, no, 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 I got this. Uh, yeah, I, in general, I'm, Still cranking it, Insider. I'm. I am honestly proud that I was able to get any work done this year. Let alone a couple of the things I got done this year turned out well. Um, so you can read. I, I've been just. I've in the last. I would say like six months. I've just veered into like trying to write about the things that I love, as opposed to like. I don't know. Before I was sometimes catering to like, what is everybody watching right now, or like, what should I be on top of, and. Like recently I wrote a whole thing about like Pride and Prejudice, which just came out or the 15 year anniversary was this year. And I, uh, I got to interview the film editor about like the specific scene where like Mr. Darcy flexes his hand after he touches. Well, the hand scene. <laughs> the hand scene. Oh. Yeah, I saw, I saw that the, the hand work that you're doing. And that was super fun. And uh, so, yeah, so you can, you can find my writings on Instagram. And then I, you know, I'm very much just thinking about the next like 24 hours at a time these days so who knows what 2021 will be but i'm i'm grateful for for this podcast and for both of you and that we get to do things like this and so hopefully we can do more of them that would be my wish in 2021 is just more 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 pod friends yeah. Honestly, in twenty, that's one of my resolutions. Twenty twenty one. I want to try to reach out to some of my old buddies and 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 bring them on for more conversations. Figure out an outlet to have kind of like these one off conversations the, about different subjects or whatever. Because it's get it gets boring with just me and Jim all the time. <laughs> what you got, Joanna? I actually saw a big, big, exciting announcement from you today. Honestly, I yeah. I did today announce that for the past year and a half or so, um, my friend and often podcast co-host Dave Gonzalez and I have been working on a Marvel history. Uh, we've been interviewing a ton of people for that. Uh, so that is something to look out for in like 2022. So provided. Uh, okay. Uh, Still in the oven bacon. Yeah. Rich of you to assume we will be here in 22. Anyway, we've been working on it for a long time. We'll be working on it for <laughs> a long time after, but that is something that's been preoccupying me for a while. Um, but I'm still at Vanity Fair uh, writing over there. I like maybe for your listeners, they'd be most interested in the fact that uh, one of the podcasts that I do for Vanity Fair is called Still Watching. And in starting in January, we're going to be covering um, the Marvel Disney Plus show WandaVision, which I'm really excited for. That looks really fun. And I'm bringing in two of my VF colleagues, Richard Lawson and Anthony Bresdikin, to cover like both the TV history angle that I think will be uh, really fun to talk about with WandaVision and the comic book angle. Um, and both of them are well qualified to talk about that. So we're going to do like a fun sort of pod cro- like this, a pod crossover event for WandaVision in January, 2021. I'm really looking forward to that. That's cool. I have no idea what to make the, of WandaVision. I know we're, uh, gonna, we're just all going to swim through it, it is, together, you know? 
it looks like such a a, a wild project. Yeah. Um, so. Oh well, it's it's really interesting to me that you know, like they were supposed to launch Marvel on Disney Plus with you know Falcon and Winter Soldier, which is much more straightforward. We understand what that is. Um, and I, uh -huh. you know, like due to COVID, but also actually due to, from what I've heard, behind the scenes issues with Fal like trying to get Falcon and Winter Soldier right, you had to move WandaVision mm. up. So I just kind of like love that they're launching with WandaVision, which looks so bonkers, you know what I mean? And it's just mm. sort of like, it's nice that that's going to be the debut. So we're not going to be like, oh, okay, I get it. You're just doing like Captain America on TV. We've seen this kind of stuff. It's right. like, no, we're going to do WandaVision. If you're not, if you've never read a comic book, strap in because it can get super weird uh so here we go and i'm excited for that well cool uh, the, those sound like really really cool projects um and i'm gonna definitely keep my my, my ears to the ground and keep tabs on it i do hope we can uh, do something in the in the new year um actually god i really wanted to talk i wanted to get with kim on mandalorian but like the because uh, you know she was oh, yeah. uh the world's foremost expert on baby yodaology uh for the last season there you go she goes she's she's repping it on the christmas sweater <laughs> Uh, my son has that exact same sweater uh, and he loves it. Um, but uh, it just a year got away from us. Like, I feel like Mando went yeah. from like it was just started last week and now it's the finale episode this week. So, yeah, um, it's, you know, it's the year for all plans and uh, expectations yeah. <laughs> flying out the window. So it's, you know, next time, season three. We'll, we'll figure it out. But uh, yeah, until the next time, uh, Kim and Joanna, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Thank you Thanks for having me. Thank you. Iris lives next door to Arthur. He's a doodly doo. <laughs> and also a doodly doo. A scroodly doo, is it? I didn't know it. Yeah. And fruitly doo. We both said fruitly. I'm impressed. You are a prodigy, a doodle prodigy.